0: Hi, it's Laura. Welcome to another episode of Future Tripping. Today, I have the great joy of being in conversation with Abby Brown. Abby is the technical and policy lead for Washington State's Clean Fuel Standard, one of three such state policies in the nation reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the production and supply of transportation fuels. Abby is wise beyond her years, and I'm very grateful to her for joining us to talk about how to sustain ourselves collectively and individually, even when we care deeply, and even when things can feel or are dire. Just a reminder that we'd love to hear from you, and if you have any questions for us, you can find us on our site at traumastewardship.com and through Instagram at futuretrippingwithlaura. Welcome to another episode of Future Tripping. Today, I have the great joy of being in conversation with Abby Brown. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
0: So you are with the Department of Ecology. I'm going to let you share with us. You can do a much better job than I can. Describe (laughs) a little bit about
1: the work you're doing currently. Yeah, so I work on climate policy for the state of Washington with the Washington Department of Ecology. I work on a program called the Clean Fuel Standard, which is Uh, working to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the production and supply of transportation fuel to the state of Washington. Uh, And I lead the team that is doing that and handle a lot of the kind of policy and project management work to make sure that we are getting the work done. Amazing. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you
0: get here? What was your trajectory to get here?
1: So I always knew that I wanted to work in some form of politics, I've always been interested in government I've always been interested in governance. Um, I didn't know really what that meant. I didn't know what jobs in that field looked like. Uh, I also was raised to really care about the environment you know growing up in the Pacific Northwest where we're little you know forest gremlins as children and um, I have two parents who also work in the environmental field and so, grew up with a lot of those kind of, you know, noticing the world around me, being aware of how ecosystems connect uh, to each other and to humans and um, having this value of wanting to protect that and to protect people. And so um, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but what, what it meant, (laughs) what I figured out that it meant was that I wanted to work in policy. I wanted to work in kind of making these systems that, that help perpetuate positive change. Um, so I started out, I I went to college in upstate New York. And then after that moved to New York city, um, I worked for the city of New York for a while. I worked for an environmental nonprofit in the city of New York doing mostly energy policy and buildings. Um, and then I've worked in, in various other roles, um, and different levels of, of policy at the city level, um, at the global level for a little while, mostly in the field of, of energy and figuring out how we can still maintain our lives where we like to, you know, use electricity and travel and do all of these things, but how can we do it better and in a way that doesn't harm people? Um, so that is a little bit of how I got here, but that's, you know, it's never as linear as it looks in hindsight. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's super helpful to hear that arc. Given how committed you were to making change, structural, systemic change, how did you decide to work for the state? There's mm. a lot of different options in terms of where we ever choose to spend our yeah.
1: time and energy
0: and life force. So how did you choose to do that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of different ways you can do that and and still create positive change. And I've, you know, I've worked for governments, I've worked for nonprofits. Um, I haven't worked a lot for the private sector, um, but a lot of friends who are working in amazing programs in the private sector to, uh, you know, meet climate goals and reduce emissions. Um, For me, I've always been very drawn to public service. I, I feel a huge sense of responsibility and Kind of commitment to protecting people and systems. Um, I'm definitely a systems thinker I, I like looking at problems from a big picture and figuring out how do we untangle these these complicated knots. Uh, I'm definitely a problem solver but I, I think what drew me to this agency in, in particular was that I could I could be in public service to my home state of Washington, a place that I love a place that I value hugely. I want to give my time to improving, um, but also I I have to say part of it is also that it's a it's a regulatory agency, and so um, it was thrilling to be at a place where you could actually make change happen because the law said that you could, and and so we were you know given a law that we would do X, Y, and Z, and we are implementing it, and there is a real sense that action is actually being taken these goals are actually being met there is the force of the law behind us but on top of that it's it's creating so much opportunity like the particular policy that i work on is a market based policy meant to financially incentivize climate friendly transportation fuels and so there's just it's throwing open the doors to bring you know, bring, have a financial incentive to bring low carbon transportation fuels to Washington. And I, I just, I love being a part of that. It's so gratifying to, to feel like, well, we'll, we'll get to this later. A lot of environmental work can feel like you're just running into a brick wall over and over again and hoping that maybe something changes. And this has been one of the few times in my career where I really feel like there is demonstrable change happening. And that feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Let me
0: ask you a little bit about that structural and systemic piece. Mm -hmm. You're very committed. You're super passionate. You're super devoted. I know that this is shifting a bit, but when I started doing my work, which was, you know, I'm old, so it was a long time ago, but there was a very reductive implicit and explicit communication that if you were working within a system, Mm -hmm. as opposed to doing more solid activism, that could be extreme or not extreme, or like you're saying, working in the more nonprofit world, Mm -hmm. they're very, unfortunately, because it was very reductive, this communication sometimes, not all the time, but that you're selling out that you're not going to be able to make the change that you could make in other ways. Right. And I think that's unfortunate for many, many... I mean, you know, no place is perfect. There are trade-offs for everywhere we choose to work. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about particularly... We have a wide range of ages who listen to our podcast and we have a lot of young people who listen. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes getting caught in that binary of if I want to do this, the right way to do this is going to look Mm. like this. And so having someone of your age and somebody who has the passion and the commitment you have and you've chosen to work within a really big system. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like state systems are not necessarily known for being nimble (laughs) and flexible and super fluid. So talk with us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's a super good point. I, you know, and these are my personal opinions, not, not the opinions of, of the agency that I work for, but I think it, I think in terms of the, the activism portion, I think that depends on what policies are in place. Like if you live in a place where there are using my own example if there are no climate policies in place in fact the policies that are in place are just you know fossil fuels are booming and you know private sector can do whatever they want and pollute wherever they want and you know people are dying and nobody cares then outside of the system activism is key is crucial it is a must because there's nothing in the system that reflects your values and so You know, and we've had a lot of people who've moved here to Washington to work on climate from red states where they have tried, you know, it's their home state. They care about it the way that I care about Washington. They want to make it better. They've tried to work in an environmental agency in their state and they, it totally just wrecked them. And they moved here because they felt like they had actual, there was actual momentum here. That being said, and again, not speaking for the agency here, but it's still always our job to hold whatever system we're in accountable. So whether that's if you're, if you're in an activism group or if you're doing any sort of kind of organizing anything like that, if you see things that you don't agree with that you think are wrong and people aren't being treated well, you should speak up against that the same way that if you're at a, a private sector company or if you're at a government agency, if you see things that are wrong, you still need to hold your own workplace accountable to it. So yeah, I think, I think the, the, the context is important. It would certainly be different to, so I, I worked here, started working in Washington before our big climate laws were passed and it feels very different now and much better, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. It's, it's, you know, in 2021, we passed some of the, the biggest climate legislation in the country a suite of bills tackling different areas and everything from, you know, we have a cap and invest program, we have an environmental justice program, we have my program, we have hydrofluorocarbon program. And it feels like a fire has been lit under the state government, which is not common. <laughs> Big bureaucracies by design don't move quickly. Uh, and some of that is protective right so that if there's administration change you can't just tear everything up overnight and some of it really does make it more difficult to respond to real world like the the pace the rapid pace of change that's happening right now we have to be more adaptable to be able to keep up with it and that's a definite struggle
0: Uh uh that's really helpful abby Let's talk a little bit since part of what we're wanting to do with the podcast is offer support Mm -hmm. and really concrete steps for folks who are feeling overwhelmed and feeling maxed out, at a loss, depleted, (laughs) fatigued because of whatever jobs they're doing or whatever else they might have going on so much is going well currently in Washington state and with the work you're doing. I know you have walked through the fire different times of your life doing different work and you're saying you see colleagues and you have relationships with colleagues where you're saying, as, as you said earlier, that they really feel wrecked. So share with me a little bit about what you notice the toll is on those who are dedicated to working for the climate and the environment right now, and also, you know, leading
1: up to where we are currently. So first I want to say that you are the first person I ever heard talk about the type of toll that working in environmental policy can take on you. Um, I had seen some of that other conversation around things like, you know, my best friend in the world is a social worker dealing with domestic violence um, and there's much to be improved there, but there is talk about how do you take care of yourself as you're taking care of other people. And so I had been familiar with that in in other areas of, of life, but you were the first person I had ever heard talk about that in relation to environmental policy, in relation to, you know, things like, how do you, how do you do this work day to day when species are going extinct and you're seeing people, take actions that are against not only their own best interests, but the best interests of all of humanity. And the, the the scale of the work that we're doing can feel so impossible sometimes. Um, Especially when you're working in those big systems, you, I mean, both internally the the wanting to be flexible and adaptable as things change, but also just, you know, I work in transportation policy. That is a big immovable system. And there's, it's. It can feel really challenging to try and make change, even when you have, like I was saying earlier, the the law at your back. Um, so, I think when I see when I myself have have struggled, and I see other people struggling, I think a lot of it comes down to, well, okay, a couple of different things. I think there's one. It's it's really really challenging to like I said, just watch people make decisions that are clearly undermining the public good and to have to live with that and that they're somehow okay making that decision. <laughs> that can really do your head in. That can really throw you for a loop of, of just thinking how I don't understand how a person could, could do that when it's so clearly harmful um, and they seemingly don't care. And I don't like living in a world where, that's the case. Um, Another is that for climate work in particular, it is a slow going work. It takes a long time to see the results of the work that you put in day in, day out. And so a lot of people I know can burn out because they feel, even though they are making progress, they feel like they are never actually seeing the finish line. And that's really, really tough because you want to feel like you're making some progress. You're seeing some benefit to, to what you're doing. So yeah, I think that that kind of feeling of hopelessness, like you might be doing something in your day or your job, or even I'm doing something at the state level that's good. And then somebody at the, in the federal government or the UN makes a decision that just pulls the rug out from under us. And you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) It's, it can be really, it can make you feel very, very hopeless. Um, and it's difficult to get up and do the work again tomorrow when you are having those feelings of hopelessness. Um, and and I'm sure you've talked about this before, that if you are in any type of kind of mission-driven work where you, you are working toward a cause that you believe in, there is an expectation that you give more of yourself for the work and for less pay. <laughs> so there is an expectation that you either accept a job with less pay or you work longer hours with uh, for no overtime. You you sacrifice more of yourself and your well-being for the sake of this cause that you that you love. Um, and I definitely early, you know, in my 20s, I was all about that. I was like, this is something I believe in. I'm so passionate. Look how hard I'm working. Because, of course, working hard is a badge of honor, even though there are many, many different ways to work hard. And there were some times in my life where it became impossible for me to function in my day to day life and, you know, having to go to the doctor, having to. I thought I was having a heart attack at 23 years old once. It was just a stress muscle reaction in my chest, but I was having chest pains that, you know, a 23 year old shouldn't be having. And, and, you know, losing sleep and or sacrificing just going out with your friends for a drink and having fun or whatever that is. It's the expectation that you should be willing to give those things up is really something that I think is pervasive, not only in the environmental field, but across all sorts of different you know, people that I know who work in public education um, or public health care all sorts of things where you're just well, you care about it so you should you should be willing to give more of yourself no matter the cost. <laughs> so you're focusing on something that is so
0: important and I really am eager to hear your thoughts on how did you get from there to I I imagine if if you and I spent time together, I would still be feeling very protective of you and worried that you are working too much. Um, so acknowledging in process and, you know, I come to this with humility in terms of nobody's holding me up as any like role model of sustaining oneself either. And I know you're in a different place now than you were. And I think one of the things that you're touching on, which is so important, is this expectation of martyrdom and yes. that as you're saying and, you know it's not a competition also as you're saying that is true but i can't think of any field i work in where there's not that expectation and right. if it's not an elevation of martyrdom there's there's often really an acceptance or an endorsement of it mm-hmm. i do think as you're sharing with the environmental and the climate work similar to you know a couple of other fields i work in it's it's things are so dire and there's so much riding on it that it, it kind of that, you know, medium to, to high grade panic attack feeling of just how do you take time off and think about everything that's happening in those like five days, once off, or how do you take time to go to the bathroom and think of everything that's happening? I mean, it's just like yeah. the urgency, 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 urgency can go from taking extended time off to just like, I don't have time to eat lunch. Like there's, there's, there's too much to do. Obviously it's completely unsustainable also not liberation based practice what got you to where you are now in terms of seeing that that just wasn't going to work and also just how how problematic it is from a
1: philosophical standpoint to say something yeah. of the practicality Yeah I <sighs> such a good question I one of the things that I turn over in my head a lot is If we are hustling in this kind of, like, you know, the the capitalist hustle culture that just tells us to kill ourselves so somebody else can make a profit. If we do that, even if we're doing it for a cause, we're basically endorsing the idea, right? That that is a valid way to exist in the world. (laughs) When it's also, thinking about climate, the reason we are in the situation we're in. um. And just maybe that then gets into a little bit of a personal, um, pettiness of like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think one of the most important things that I have been very slow to learn is to say no to things both at work and in, you know, personal life, but, it's i think in the world of the kind of if you're working for a cause you're martyring yourself for a cause the expectation is that you never say no and that also in my mind means that you're doing the work poorly too if you're saying yes to everything then you're not giving care to the things that actually deserve care and so saying no and, and saying no when you've you've you know taken the time looked yourself, your own capacity, what the work priorities are, how, you know, what ha- what can't wait, what can wait, and then saying no to the things that can wait or saying not right now, I can get to this in a week. Um, I think just allows you to do better work. And as soon as that clicked for me, that I care about this work on a deeply personal level. I care about doing a good job. The best way for me to do a good job is to say no to some of these things so that I can say yes to the things that are most important. Um, But that requires a, I wish it didn't require so much self-discipline. And also I wish it didn't require so much boundary enforcement with other people because there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of this expectation of, oh no, just take on this one more thing. It'll be fine. And something that I'm Also really trying to to learn with uh, this team that I'm leading is to really, really listen to them when when they say they can't do something and to question when they say they can do something and I am concerned that their workload is getting unmanageable, really checking in and, and taking the time to go, okay, let's look at everything you're doing. Is it all manageable? This is the highest priority that you really need to be spending time and focusing on you know, I can take this other piece or it can wait until later. Or, you know, we, we work as a team so that we can share the weight together. So how can we reshuffle? What can wait? Things like that.
0: I want to go a little bit deeper with what you're bringing up there because you brought up something that's so important. And I approach This conversation of the consequences of exposure to really hard things over time. Mm -hmm. So, vicarious trauma, this idea of cumulative toll, it is imperative, at least for me, to approach it from a structural and a systemic standpoint. There's this balance of, you know, everyone I work with is adults, or I mean, they might be very young adults doing their work and, you know, still even in teenage years, but they've elected to do the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. So there's this balance of, we have made choices to do this. We need to be accountable and we need to be responsible and not, I never want to diminish our sense of personal agency that has to be balanced as you're saying with the structural and the systemic piece of how critical it is that these systems have their means be consistent with their ends, as Desmond Tutu talks about, Mm -hmm. and that you can't try to decrease oppression out there and all the things, as you're saying, that are contributing to how we got here by then having some kind of an oppressive environment replicated in the workplace. And unfortunately, there's been so much of this endorsing, if not elevation, of martyrdom and that oh my God, you're so amazing. I don't know how you do that. Look at you. And it gets really, really confusing for folks. I think it can, I mean, regardless of your age, certainly when we're younger and if you have a kind of baseline of health and a baseline of that youth and you can go on little sleep, you can skip meals, right? You can work seven days a week. You can tolerate just honestly that much adrenaline and cortisol in your nervous system. Yeah. So we never want to diminish the individual responsibility of pacing oneself. I think these systems have such a moral mandate and ethical obligation to create sustainable environments so people can do this work and where folks can bring their A-game, right? Right. And hearing you articulate the way you are, you're not an outlier, but the majority of folks I work with in leadership, that is not necessarily where they're at or what they've been able to yet establish Mm. in, in part because they're facing a lot of headwinds. Right. So how did you get to that place of understanding how important it is structurally and systemically? You're not in any way encouraging somebody to not be responsible for their own choices. Right. And also if you see them continuing to miss their kids, ballet you know, practice yeah. or soccer game, or you just see their health tanking, you at some point have to be like, I know you think you can do this. Yeah. Just on my watch, like you're not doing this anymore. You know, we're, we're putting the brakes on this. Yeah. So how did you come to that? And how do you continue to do that? Because I imagine there's a lot of forces working against you for that kind of pacing.
1: Yeah. that it's, it's so true that there's that way of working is considered so unnatural in quote unquote, in the systems that we work in, that it is difficult to achieve. (laughs) Um, I, I think I honestly was pushed in this direction because I could feel myself no longer being able to do exactly what you just said when you're young in your 20s. I I went on a, I don't know how I survived on that little sleep or, you know, bad food, not enough exercise, like all the things, you know, that you're able to do and then just get up and roll out of bed and go to work the next day. And then it started getting harder to do that. And I was like, ooh, why? <laughs> um, and seeing people around me really struggling and just starting to ask questions of, why are they struggling? Why is it so difficult not to struggle to a certain extent? Like why? Why is it the norm that people are struggling? Um, and you know, I've had friends that have had to take medical leave from work because the stress is at a point where it's having such a physical effect on them. One of the larger turning points is the the times in my life where my body and my mind have no longer been able to do what they're supposed to do. And it scared me so much. It shocked me so much. Um, Cause I'm very much a, you know, Oh, we'll just get it done. Um, just push through. And just, I, I, I think you, you said this at um, once that you can't solve a problem by just, Oh, if I work harder and if I work longer and I was very much a, we'll just work harder and work longer and the problem will be solved. Um, until I couldn't anymore, and thankfully I had a really good mentor, a manager at work, who, when I went to and said I'm struggling, which for me was not easy to, in you know, for most people it's not easy to ask for help. He said, his mindset was, "Okay, how do we help? Like, how do we, as an institution, help you?" And that was through, through a couple of different options. Um, What ended up being most successful for me was just working less. I basically, he said, I know you have a lot of sick time. What if you just come in a little late and leave a little early each day, just add a little bit more time and capacity and rest back into your day. And I did that for a period of time and that what and i was also doing you know i was getting outside for walks i was doing meditation i was trying being really intentional about how much i was sleeping eating better things like that but just working a little bit less every single day had the most dramatic positive effect of all of that and that i think really helped me helped conceptualize the fact that some of these things can be incremental changes that you make to your life. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a huge 180 overnight, because we all know those aren't sustainable anyway. (laughs) The only thing that's sustainable is slow incremental change over time. Um, And also, this is the first role I've had where I'm really responsible for a team. And all of a sudden, I started getting really protective of them and their time. And when they were struggling, it became my responsibility to look out for them. And standing up for them also helped me stand up for myself, which, yeah, I I wish that these types of things didn't wait until things were so bad that you couldn't ignore it anymore. But I feel like that's it, it, it is unfortunately that way for a lot of people.
0: Right. And, Abby, when folks come to you, either who you're managing or other colleagues, when folks come to you and they resist, With the, this is so dire, this is so urgent, we have to keep doing it, even if it comes at a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? Like, what is your response in terms of helping them pull back
1: and see how important that, you know, do no harm ethic is? Yeah, One of the things I think that's important to realize, especially in climate work, is that this work is slow. It is, by its very nature, going to take decades and decades. And so something I say, both to my own team, and if I'm, you know, having an informational interview with someone who's in college or, or something, you know, someone younger in their career. If you're interested in climate, if this is something that you're passionate about, I want you to be able to do this work for a long time, the world needs you to do this work for a long time. And that means not burning out in the short term. And so thinking about it instead of the you know, meeting the short term deadline or the short term, you know, the quarterly gain or whatever it is, thinking about it on a different time scale can sometimes for some people take some of that pressure off of what they have to do today or tomorrow or this week, that what really matters is the progress that we're making day after day, week after week, month, year, decade. These are, those are the things that matter. And so if you have to leave something on your desk because you're having dinner with your parents tonight or you're taking care of a sick sibling or whatever it is and you come back to it tomorrow or you come back to it next week, that's okay. It's We're not doctors where there's a patient that's going to die on the operating table and the investment is really for the long term. Because um, I think a lot of the the kind of hustle culture that that hurts people is so it's so short term focused right it's just all about cramming the hours this week or spending money this week getting this quarterly result or whatever instead of thinking about okay and and in climate work too when we talk with businesses we're talking about the long term we're talking about if you make a decision now it may not financially pan out this quarter or this year but in five years you're going to be making x amount more if you you know whatever I think trying to get away from the obsession with short term is something that I hope takes some of that pressure off of people to feel like they have to kill themselves today, (laughs) that they have to martyr themselves today for this project and think, okay, because also if you are stretching yourself too thin to work on a project today, you're probably not doing it as well as you could be. And so if you have to go and say, hey, I'm working on this project. I don't have time to complete it by the deadline. I think it would be better if I had an extra week. The quality of the end product will be better. I think that's for me personally, that's an argument I'm very receptive to because it should be about quality. It should be about the quality of both how you feel doing the work the end work product, and the effect that that work product is having. So yeah, I think that is, and especially when I'm talking to people who want to work in climate, that's something I, I repeat a lot, is that you really have to look out for yourself because this work is by nature long-term. Um, and we want you to be working on it long-term, but that that requires a kind of attentiveness to or just being aware of the, the short-term pressures and what they might be doing and how they might be lying to you. You know, the little voice in your head that's whispering, well, if you just crunch and get this, you know, if you just work till 9 p.m. or midnight tonight and get this done by tomorrow, it'll be fine. It won't because there's going to be another project next week. So it really is about these kind of, like, intentional... And like you said, I'm by no means perfect with this. I screw up all the time. I work late hours. I you know, was just telling you I hadn't had a vacation in a year and a half more than a long weekend. So clearly it's, it's finding that equilibrium is a constant and imperfect struggle, but we have to be trying, right? We have to be trying to be a little bit better than we were yesterday.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so beautifully said. Connected to what you're saying, I want to ask your thoughts on where grieving and mourning come into doing environmental and climate related work. Many folks know, you know, this concept of distress tolerance and mm. part of what you're talking about in terms of being able to walk away for the evening, walk away for the weekend, walk away for some time off or just pace oneself throughout the day. Has to do with our ability to tolerate the distress, the anxiety, the dread, the overwhelm, the kind of paralysis we might feel with what we're up against. And I think, certainly, you know, in at least in the United States, where we have such little support around grieving Mm. and such little support around being able to feel deeply everything that's unfolding climate wise. I think, to me, that's part of where I see it contribute to, as you are wonderfully articulating that stay in motion, stay in motion, stay in motion, be very frenetic, be super hectic. And as long as we're doing, it's much, much, much harder to feel when you're yeah. in motion. What are your thoughts on being able to feel our full range of feelings, as we talk with kids about but being able to feel deeply? <laughs> And balancing that with not getting so overwhelmed that we just can't move forward. You know so much more than so many people. I think a lot of folks who know a lot and a lot of folks who really don't know a lot but are just hearing bits and pieces, certainly it's not it's not the only field, but the climate field is one of those places that I think you can get a bit of information and just feel like, nothing matters anymore. Yeah. Yes. So I'm wondering your thoughts on that grieving and mourning and feeling balanced with, okay, there's also this data. And if we do this, we are making a difference and it's not Mm -hmm. just hopeless yet. We need some space to feel.
1: Boy, I wish I knew. Um, (laughs) If you trick yourself into thinking, if I just work harder, then I can solve all the problems. Right. Right. Then you're not you're not actually feeling those feelings. You're not you're. I feel like it's these we get these little hits of you know you read you read a news article with some horrible news, and it's just this drive-by sucker punch, and then you have to go on with your day somehow. Um, and to be honest, I've never been particularly good me, myself, in feeling my feelings. I'm definitely an over-intellectualizer and uh, someone who just will, you know, keep busy in order to avoid feeling those feelings. But I think it also, it's an important part of realizing the work that we do has meaning. And so kind of giving yourself time and space to, really if we're just a little bit dip your toe into that existential crisis and just go wow people are there are evil people out there or you know these people are suffering or you know they we just uncovered proof that for the last 60 years you know x y and z has been happening and now it's it feels like how are we ever going to fix it um i i do think having a little little mini existential crisis can be a good thing because it's just true it's just true to feel those things and to feel like you can't explain the horrible things that are happening in the world i think most of the ways that i process are outside of work i i wish i i wish there was more space to to grieve and to feel despair in work in a not in a you know not in a distracting horrible way but in a way where we could have solidarity with the other people who are working in the same cause that you're working towards and sometimes we do sometimes you know if something particularly awful happens if we're we're back in the office a little bit and if we're all in the office we'll sometimes we'll just stand around and talk with each other and it just feels good to know that you're not the only one spinning out over this new crazy thing that you just <laughs> learned or this, you know, Supreme Court overturns this or that company dumped a bunch of chemicals or whatever it is that, that you aren't, you aren't going crazy for feeling the way that you feel. Um, But I think that really depends on your workplace, your team, and I wish it was more kind of uniformly accepted. I will say that uh, the, one of the places I was working in New York City. We, um, (laughs) the day after the 2016 election, we basically got no work done that day. We came into the office and um, some people had set up like a quiet room (laughs) where people could just go in and they could sit. They could, we had printed out like coloring sheets that people could do, but people just needed time. People just needed time. And sometimes people were crying. Sometimes people were angry, but we created a literal space for people to just step away from their desktop computer and just feel whatever they were feeling. Um, and I think about that a lot because I, I think that was pretty great to just, you know, it was not the most productive day, but it also wouldn't have been the most productive day if all those people were sitting at their desks trying to work. So, you know, they just would have been feeling miserable at their desks instead of miserable somewhere else. So, And people felt, felt better for being together um yeah i think i think that's important and we again with the kind of you have to make every minute of your work day as productive as possible is an unrealistic expectation for a billion reasons but you know i sometimes we'll schedule meetings with people where we're just checking in with each other or just sometimes we just need to rant about something that you know the state of the world or it's a natural reaction to processing. And sometimes you just need to do that because then you get it out of your system and you can have a productive meeting with that, that same person or company that you were kind of, you were frustrated with because you just got it out of your system. And now you think, okay, all right, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go about my day.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. So connected with that part of what I what your thoughts on is this balancing doing everything we can to be helpful with the environment, with the climate, with also not getting delusional, grandiose, self-important in terms of what we, let's let's start from an individual standpoint, mm-hmm. what we individually can do. I think again, not unique to this field, but certainly the climate environmental space is one where just from a nervous system standpoint and that fight, flight, freeze and everything that translates to, I think if we're not really careful, we can just quickly get to a place of despair and it's all futile and it doesn't matter. And I'm just gonna like ride this, wave of life as long as I can because <laughs> it's we're, what we're up against. It's just, it's like, it's, it's too much. Right. And just going to a place yeah. of like, I can't, like, I just, I can't, you know? Yeah. So yeah. not wanting to be there and also not wanting to be in a place of whatever, if you forgot your water bottle and you have to get a plastic water bottle for yeah. the day, so you're not completely dehydrated. <laughs> then you, right? yeah. you're, you're not like spinning out with self-hatred. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we don't want to get into kind of this, exaggeration in other in either direction and Mm -hmm. i think part of what i imagine you spend quite a bit on for yourself and your team is how do you have the discipline to focus on what is going well what progress is happening Mm -hmm. what gains we are making so that we then have the capacity to be able to tolerate all the reality of what isn't going well and I'm wondering what you think there in terms of, again, let's just start individually because I know you're a part of a larger system. Many of our listeners will be. And there's a lot of folks who are going about this individually. It's just not, their, their life is not part of a larger collective climate right. cause. So kind of how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. I I think one of the issues that I take with the environmental movement is the way that in the, in the public sphere, I don't think this is true of all, you know, people who've worked in various environmental movements, but I think there's been a real um, sense that we're trying to shame people and that we're trying to make them feel guilty for the things that they're doing in their lives. And I just don't think that's productive. <laughs> I just traveled and I forgot my water bottle. I had to buy a plastic water bottle. It was fine. Um, I was okay with that. From a personal accountability standpoint, I think it's important to do the things that you can do, the things that are actually within your grasp to do, but not beat yourself up over the things that you can't. Because again, if you're only beating yourself up over the things that you can't do, then you're not motivated to do the things that you can, and so it's just a a vicious negative cycle of feeling bad about not doing things and then you just stop doing things. <laughs> so cut yourself a break for the, for the things that are within your control, do the things you can don't worry too much about the things you can't. I'm much more interested in people voting to hold their elected officials accountable and the companies that they purchase from accountable. Cause those to me are the things that make a, a larger difference. Um, but I still think that people should, you know, feel Im- to do the things that they can and that make them happy to do and not feel a bunch of shame or disappointment in themselves for the things that they can't do. Um, and I think also that in thinking about how we are trying to handle overwhelm and trying to, you know, the, the imperfect search for, for whatever that equilibrium is between too much and too little, you know, stimulation and all of these crazy things. It's also, at least for me, if I'm having a week where I'm working too much and I'm not cooking dinner as much as I should be and not getting outside or whatever, my first instinct is to turn that on myself as my own fault and to be just very self critical. And I think it's just you got to cut yourself some slack cuz if if I'm only punishing myself for the weeks when I'm not handling it well then you know I I might be burned out before I get to the next week and I have the opportunity to do a little bit better and that's not to say don't hold yourself accountable to things but don't overly punish yourself for for things that are you know sometimes there's a deadline you just have to meet and you work some long hours and you get it done and then hopefully you can balance those hours by leaving early the next day or whatever it is that works it's yeah i think it's hard for people to deal with the feeling of guilt when it comes to climate and the environment and you know should i be composting should i be trying, driving an electric vehicle should i be you know i don't know it could it could be infinite all the things that you could be doing and i i just think it's it's more important to, again, try a little bit each day to to be better than you were the day before in whatever that means, uh, whatever way that works for you. Because again, I think that feeling of shame goes back to, you know, like capitalist hustle culture that makes you feel bad for, that pushes you. And then when you aren't perfect, which no one is, you are meant to feel bad about it. And that, that doesn't serve you well. That only serves capitalism because it just makes you, well, then I'll work harder the next time. And it's like, nope, that's that can't be the answer to this, that it just keeps going around and around in this cycle. And yeah. So I that that to me has been um, at least personally, some taken a lot of work to kind of decouple that feeling of of shame and instinct to punish myself for not getting things right the first try. Or, or not doing what I think I should be doing.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Abby, and for being willing to share that. Second to last question, I am concerned about the rising despair for people of all ages. I have a lot of young people in my life, and as you were talking about earlier, this existential fear, existential dread, existential paralysis that can come. I'm really worried about the despair for a lot of young people that they're wading through. You know, as you know, of course, there's a, not a total loss, although I would say many of us who are involved in suicide prevention are really Mm -hmm. feeling, if not at a total loss, we are feeling frequently a concern of how hard it seems to get consistent traction in terms of supporting folks who feel suicidal or feel like it's just not worth it anymore. So there's that on one end. And you can come down to any number of other ways that folks are causing harm to oneself, whether that is addictions of any kind, right? Right. And then you can kind of keep keep moving through the continuum. And so hope not as some kind of vapid, superficial state of being, but you seem hopeful. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit about, Again, not trying to broad brush or minimize anything, but given how many folks are in pain and how many folks feel really despairing, and the climate is not the only piece of that, of course, I think it is a big piece for a lot of folks, and again, like I said, a lot of young folks. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about if you are hopeful, I don't want to presume, and where you generate that and how you preserve that, how you continue to nurture
1: that. I think I am more hopeful than I've been in a very, very long time right now, um, whether that's because of the climate momentum in Washington. Um, I also work with other states and other countries and you know, sharing ideas and talking to each other, what works, what doesn't, why doesn't it work? What can we improve? Sharing information, is so, it feels so constructive that, and it feels like people are really helping each other. That has done a lot to kind of buoy me, but I have not always been hopeful. And when you feel that way, you know, you can't intellectualize your way out of it, right? You can't logic your way out of it, which for me was difficult to realize. I don't know. I think one of the best things for me right now is looking at the people I work with, like something that I talked about with a lot of the people I went to grad school with, we were we we're all working on different areas of policy. And sometimes, you know, I would get really stressed out about, oh my God, the state of, you know, immigration or public health or something like that. And, and I would think, well, I'm focusing all my time over here, but there are these huge problems over here that I'm not doing anything about. I should be fixing those problems too. But we would, my grad school friends and I would talk to each other and the way I kind of, and they've all felt very similar things too. And the way I kind of describe it is we're all on the same team. We're just covering different bases and letting people cover their base and I'll cover mine. And, or, you know, if, if someone is, they're having their, what they're working on is being attacked right now, you support them. They're in the lead. They're the expert. You, you support them. And when you need to be in the lead, they will support you. And just the the feeling of teamwork, I think, is one of the most crucial things to just getting through the day, to be honest. Having people who you feel like are on your team, that when you're not feeling great, you can lean on them. Um, And that if you are struggling, like when I was struggling and I had to work fewer hours, my team was there. We reshuffle things around because that's why you work in a team and having people who are by your side, who care about the same thing you do, who you can be down with when you're all feeling a little down, but you can kind of work through it together. I think, like I said, people have moved here to Washington to work on these climate policies and a lot of them are younger. A lot of them are younger, which also has such a different Feeling in the office that there's this, there's a whole different energy and people are so smart and so dedicated. And I am constantly impressed by them and looking around and seeing the people around me who are so smart and wonderful and care about this work and knowing that I'm not alone, that we're all working on this together in different ways and a bunch of different ways. Um, To me, that's one of the not only things, but one of the few things that really gets me out of when I'm feeling my most hopeless, which your team can look like a lot of different things for different people, right? I was just talking about, you know, grad school friends, coworkers, but it, you know, it could be it could be your family that helps you get through the day when you're having a rough day. Someone who, you know, a friend that comes over and cooks you dinner when you're, when you're having a rough time or, you know, your neighbor who takes your dog out, what, you know, whatever it looks like there are a lot of people on your team. And I think what has shocked me about getting older is there are a lot of people who want to be on your team. (laughs) There are a lot of people who want to look out for you. Um, And I want to look out for a lot of people. So it's, it's, I used to think that I was pretty cynical in my worldview and that I, I now I'm kind of, I think individual people, I'm much more hopeful about systems. I'm still pretty cynical about, you know, big corporations, things like that. I'm still pretty cynical about, but, um, I'm more hopeful about just people, which I never thought I would be saying those words, but here we are. (laughs) Um, It's, yeah, I think finding your team is such a good thing because then when you're feeling a little weak, they can help you and when they're feeling a little weak, you can help them and having that is so 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 important.
0: Right. I really appreciate what you're sharing there and the creativity and the flexibility you have in how you're offering that of don't limit how you consider or how you define your team and what that can look like and it the other thing I'm hearing you say there is that we really don't want to get isolated in life, that making sure that we are not isolated and that's going to look different for everybody, but just really making sure that we Mm -hmm. have that ability to stay connected somehow. And I'm also hearing you talk about just how fluid this is, that Feelings can come in waves, right? So you might be feeling hopeful (laughs) for 10 minutes and then you, like you said, you might hear something and you go despairing for another 20 minutes and then you're like, have another good hour and just being able to tolerate that too. You know, that this is going to be very non-linear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a super, that is such a good point. Um, and that, that is exhausting, right? Like that having that roller coaster of feelings is exhausting, but something I'm trying to learn is to be okay with that variability of just life in general. And um, yeah, being, being okay when my good day suddenly turns into a bad day and just kind of going, well, this is the day now. And, you know, what I'm going to look forward to is just getting home to my dog or going on a walk later or whatever it is. It's, yeah, there's, I think being okay with how, how your feelings change over time or how quote unquote good your, you say how good you are at maintaining a boundary. Maybe one day you're just really, you totally fold and you do not insist on, on a boundary or you say yes to a project that you shouldn't or whatever it is. It's also kind of, being okay with that and recognizing it and going, okay, I'm going to be better next time and not punish yourself overly. So for quote unquote, making that mistake and just learning from it and moving on, um, which is really tough. I think it's, it's so easy to just beat yourself up all the time over past mistakes or perceived mistakes. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that that's, something I'm trying to do a lot more because I just don't want to carry the weight of all of that kind of self-flagellation. And again, in order to do this work long-term or to just get through my week, um, I can't do that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Abby, I so hear you. You have answered this, I think, in a number of different ways. So just if there's anything else you want to add, we like to offer listeners some very concrete steps in terms of just being able, as you're saying, like, to get through one's day, get through one's week. <laughs> You've given us a few windows into your life. Is there anything else you employ as a non-negotiables in your life, again, with some flexibility and self-compassion, mm-hmm. but that you really try to do because you know, A, it helps you sustain yourself. And also, as you're talking about, it really helps you bring your A game. Is there anything else you haven't shared that you employ that you find to be really helpful?
1: This is such a simple one, but I, I am now very firm about my working hours and not answering emails after a certain time of night, putting my work phone away so that I can't even see it. I read a study recently where you have an actual stress reaction just from seeing your work phone. So now I hide it away somewhere, close the door to my office and just leave it in there. So like I said, I started my career in New York City. And one of the offices I worked in, they would have competitions of who answered the email latest at night, who was the last person to answer the email chain. And it would be at like 2.30 in the morning. And I remember even as a very young person who... Idolized these people wanted to be like them. I was red flag (laughs) going off in in the back of my brain, and and when I started to when the when the lack of sleep really started to catch up to me, when I was no longer able to push through, and I was having, you know, the anxiety was out of control because I could never shut my brain off. Again, one super simple thing I did that had such a huge effect was having a firm line about when I stop work for the day firm and obviously there are times when I do have to work late or there are times when for whatever reason and that's okay as long as it is not permanent I can do that for short periods of time it is not permanent it is not the norm um and I have a lot of friends who struggle and co-workers who struggle with that and for various reasons um and I, I think that is something I'm, I try to set as, as an example for my team or just people in my life in general that, you know, I am not available to, I'm available during these hours and I, it takes a long time for my brain to shut down at night. I need to, I need hours of time <laughs> to just process and you know, be outside and go for a walk and cook dinner and whatever. I need, I need hours of time in order to be able to sleep. Um, and that was one of the things I did that just, that made them a lot easier. As soon as I kind of set that boundary, all those other things suddenly became a lot easier. So, and if I get more sleep, I'm a healthier and happier person and I can do better work because my brain is functioning. So, um, yeah, that I think is super important to me. Also, again, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, get outside. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't mean in the way where when you're depressed, uh, somebody will go. Have you thought about taking a walk? And you just want to punch them in the face. Right. Um, I I just mean I genuinely think sometimes just breathing fresh, like even if it's just sitting on your patio, or and or opening a window and breathing fresh air can really help. Um, I love walking in the woods. That's one of my favorite things or walking on the ocean. And uh, that helps me just like the sound of water or the sound of the wind in the trees helps quiet my brain in a way that very few things do. Um, Also medication also helps with that. So very, very pro, you know, if that is something that you think might help you and you're maybe thinking about talking to a doctor about it, have that conversation see if it works for you because it's it's I feel like with both the climate work and life it's like an all hands on deck approach it's a little bit of many different things is going to make the difference and so be open to those many different things
0: yeah Abby thank you so much it is been such a joy to get to know you from when you were much, much, much younger and now (laughs) seeing you out in the world as this exquisite young woman who you are. It's, I hope is not my strong suit and (laughs) getting to engage with you and see you out in the world doing what you're doing. It is really, really, truly inspiring. So Such a privilege getting to have this conversation with you. And I appreciate you pulling yourself away from the critical work you're doing. And thank you so much for taking the time and and of course
1: for everything you're doing out there. Thank you. I'm I'm thank you for asking me. I'm so happy to. And also just thank you for the ways in which you are helping articulate so many of these things that is People have had these thoughts and feelings, but maybe not connected the dots. And you connect those dots, and all of a sudden, people go, "Oh, yeah, of course, I should be doing X or I, or Y, or I've never thought about it in that way." And yeah, like I said, you're you're the first person I I ever heard talk of the emotional and mental toll that working in the environmental field can have. And I hadn't realized that there was one until you. I heard you say that, and it was like. It was a light bulb moment where it was, oh, of course. It yeah. And so I think in in all the different ways that people work in these cause fields where they care about something, also caring about being able to do that work for the long term and in a way that works for you is so important. So thank you so much for talking about it and all the things that you do. And yeah, you gave a you gave a webinar to ecology a while ago and people are still talking about it. They love it so much.
0: very kind thank you abby thank you really this was such a privilege so thank you so much thank you our podcast future tripping is a trauma stewardship institute production i laura am your host and producer our incredible executive producer and sound engineer is olivia p Sounier, without whom this podcast would not be possible it's edited and mixed by tom styles with original music by cameron devore Our graphic designer is Evie Burrows-White. Thank you for downloading and subscribing. And as always, please give us a holler with any questions or suggestions. We can be found at traumastewardship.com and on Instagram at future tripping with Laura. There you can find both an email and phone number where you can ask your questions of our upcoming guests. I am grateful you joined us. Please remember however your overwhelm is feeling today, you're not alone. You're in good company and I look forward to being with you
1: here on Future Tripping again next week.